you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth i can't even believe it i can't believe it it has been over a hundred episodes of big design small budget in fact we're on episode 103 Things got so busy, we've been working so hard over here at Affordable Interior Design that I didn't even recognize when Big 100 rolled by. In fact, I was designing in London, a beautiful flat, and having an amazing time, and I come back and I'm like, wait, what happened? We're already on episode 103? So I've decided to celebrate today. I'm Betsy Helmuth. This is Big Design, Small Budget, and this is episode 103. I feel like it's a real milestone. Over two years of sharing with you, talking to you, offering you advice, meeting new people, hearing about your spaces, hearing about your issues, your trials, your tribulations, and having experts on to tell us how we can lead a more stylish, amazing life all while staying within our budget. It has been such a blast, and it has been really exciting. I remember the first episodes I did back in my storefront in Dumbo when I was nervous and my amazing producer Catherine would come over every week and practically hold my hand for the whole episode. And now we're recording in Dobbs Ferry. We do it independently. I have so much fun reading through your emails. In fact, those are my very favorite episodes, those Q&A episodes where you write to me and I really get to dig in to what you're thinking about and meet you where you are. So thank you so much for being a listener, for those of you who are members, for being premium members. I'm actually launching five bonus episodes this week to make up for some lost time when I was in London and now coming back and swinging into summer at Affordable Interior Design and getting all of our ducks in a row over here. But I wanted to stop and thank you for spreading the word, for sharing this podcast with so many people. That is what has contributed to our success, and I'm really appreciative. So thanks to everyone out there in the podcast listener world. And without further ado, let me jump into my favorite part of this podcast, more questions from you, because they have been rolling in to Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com, and I can't wait to answer them. 
So let me kick it off with Claire's question. She wrote me, how many curtain panels do I need per window? So Claire, it really depends on how wide your window is. There's a very simple mathematical equation. Let's use some easy numbers. Let's say your window is 100 inches wide. You need double the width of drapery that you have window. So we're going to need 200 inches of drapery. That means if you're working with two panels, which we generally are, one on either side, each panel would need to be 100 inches wide. Now, a standard panel is between 40 and 50 inches wide. Rather than buying a double-wide panel, which you can find at Pottery Barn or Restoration Hardware, but the prices tend to be quite expensive, I prefer to get four standard-sized panels at that 40 to 50 inches and have them hemmed together at a local dry cleaner. That way, it does add up to that 100 inches per side, but I didn't have to buy double-wide panels that are so much more expensive, oftentimes over double the cost of a single panel. And also, with double-wide panels, you just don't have that much selection. Since there are very few stores that actually carry them, you won't get a lot of different designs to choose from. So my windows at home are 120 inches. And so I just sort of rounded down because if you want to, you can do 1.5 times the width of your window is the amount of drapery. I typically just go with that round number of two times. But um, I got four panels from JCPenney. I took them to the local dry cleaner, had each pair of two hemmed together, and for less than $100, I have two double-wide drapes that I just love in a beautiful yellow trellis pattern that there's no way I could find on the retail market in a double-wide size. So Claire, I hope that helped, and never underestimate JCPenney for their amazing window treatments. It's one of my favorite places to go for budget curtains, rods, and blinds. My next question comes from fan Rex. Hi Rex. Thanks for writing in. You wrote, I have an old sofa. It's worn out, but I still love the shape and it's very comfortable. Is it worth it to reupholster? The answer is generally no. Generally, it is not worth it to reupholster. By the time you buy the fabric and pay for the additional labor, it's usually more expensive than buying a new sofa. And that doesn't even include the cost of restuffing the cushions, perhaps looking at the frame to see if any of the wood is warped or bent. It can really add up and be double or triple the price of a new sofa. So I tell my clients, unless there's a strong emotional attachment, unless it was a piece that's been handed down for years and it truly is priceless in that way, you really shouldn't reupholster your sofa. You're going to find that it is too costly and you may not even like the fabric that you get. Seeing a swatch and then having it actually be on your entire sofa are two different things. So when you're buying from a company, at least you can go sit on, jump on that exact sofa and be really sure about the final product. That being said, if you live in a very affordable area, of the Midwest, or you know a really affordable vendor who will reupholster for you on the cheap, then go for it. But cheap reupholstery tends to be an oxymoron, especially out here on the East Coast. So based on my experiences here in the New York area, it just doesn't make sense. My next question comes from Gina. Gina asks, Betsy, how should I accessorize my coffee table? 
That's a great question. The coffee table is in the middle of that entertaining area, generally in the middle of your seating. So when people are coming over, it really can be a focal point, something that they're looking at and paying a lot of attention to. So my recommendation for accessorizing a coffee table is first to always accessorize in odd numbers, whether you're grouping a stack of books or placing decorative balls in a bowl, you want to make sure that you're doing odd numbers, three, five, seven, versus even numbers, two, four, six, which just aren't as visually interesting. Uh, They don't feel quite as organic and natural. It feels a little bit more contrived to group accents in even numbers. The other thing I think about is functionality. So what do you really need on a coffee table? You really need remotes, even though they may not be as attractive as one would hope. You really need coasters. And so in order to wrangle those items, I do love a tray. Pretty much every coffee table I ever accessorize or own in my own home has a tray. It's just a great way to collect and gather a group of unrelated items items. I use a tray to wrangle those coasters, those remotes, but then I also put something cute on there, be it a candle or an interesting vase, something so that it's not just a fully utilitarian piece, but also has a little bit of flair. And then, of course, you want to think about where you get your tray. My favorite places to get trays for coffee tables are West Elm. They have a huge selection of everything from wood to acrylic to metal. I also like Pottery Barn. I also like Pier One. I love a mirrored tray, which you can find at Bellacore or Z Gallery. So when you're adding a tray to a coffee table, you want to be thinking about adding a new texture. In other words, if your coffee table is wood, I would never put a wood tray on top of that or even a brown tray because when you squint, they'll have a similar value and you won't see any contrast. So if I were accessorizing a wood coffee table, well, I would use a mirrored tray or an acrylic tray. I would use a painted tray that's a color other than the color of the wood. Uh, So you want to think about layering those textures as well so that you really get a visually arresting moment and also get all that function from the piece. The one thing that I don't like to put on a coffee table is just too much stuff or too big stuff that you can't actually put a drink on or put your feet up because it's so cluttered with accents. I do love a double-tiered coffee table, in other words, something that has a shelf below, so that I could have put a basket under there and it could house board games or magazines or things that aren't really visually captivating but I still find quite useful to have next to my seating area. So that's my two cents on accessorizing your coffee table. I hope that helped, Gina. So we're going to cut for a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back with episode 103. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, beautifying your home for less, styling your home, and the fundamentals of feng shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, 
With the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. We are back with our big Celebration 103 episode. I have even more delicious design questions to jump into. And don't forget, if you have design questions, send them my way. Email them to Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. I would love to answer them. Getting your questions keeps things fresh and lively for me. So send them my way, send in pictures, and I will give you the best advice possible. Speaking of advice, Colin has a question for me. He writes, I have wood trim throughout my home, but I'm wondering if I should paint it. So it depends. One thing that really bothers me is when people paint part of the wood trim in their home, but they don't paint all the wood trim. In other words, they'll paint the baseboard moldings white, but then they'll leave the door trim the wood color. I think you really have to commit and paint all of that trim or leave all of the trim in its natural wood state. Now, the problem with this is that it's very hard to undo once you've decided to move forward with painting that trim. There's really no turning back. If you ever want to uncover that, it's quite a labor-intensive and expensive process to strip that paint. So you want to be sure you're making the right decision. Now, this would greatly impact your resale value. So whenever I'm up against a decision that's really going to impact resale value, what I do is I go to a local real estate agent. I say, you know, I'm thinking about making this big change, but I also want to stay flexible and do what's right for the home in terms of what would be valuable for someone else later. Because if you're planning to sell within the next five to 10 years, you really want to make your decisions based on what you think the return will be on that decision. If you're going to be there longer than 10 years, then you should just make your own dreams come true. If you're feeling the space is too dark, if you're feeling like there's just too much wood, if you don't personally like wood trim and you plan on being in the space over 10 years, do what you want. Do what makes you happy because you're going to be there a good long time. But for someone who doesn't have a long-term view in terms of staying put, you really do want to get that advice. Because like I said, this is something you can't easily undo. So you want to make sure that you are making the right choice for your area, your potential buyers, so you can get top dollar when you do decide to move, Colin. And make sure if you move forward with painting that trim that you do so in a semi-gloss finish, something that you can easily wipe off and clean because it's going to be getting a lot more traffic than the walls. You're going to be getting fingerprints from people opening the door every day. You're going to be getting boot scuffs from people walking by those baseboards. So make sure you're using a very durable semi-gloss finish paint. Typically, I do a version of white, but as I was discussing in one of my Facebook Live events the other day, when I'm painting trim, something that can be really special, especially in a more historic home or a home that doesn't get a lot of natural light, 
is to paint the walls a lightish tone. So a white, an off-white, and then to paint the trim in the color, meaning a gray, a beige, a taupe. That can be a really interesting look. Uh, to see if it's the right look for you, you might want to go online to house or another site and type in colorful trim and just see if that's a vibe you're into because like I said, once you paint it, you can't go back. All right, my next question is from Wendy. She writes, I don't love the color of my wood grain kitchen cabinets. Should I paint them? Well, Wendy, the answer is no. You should not paint them. You should never paint them unless you are a professional painter. However, I think it can be really nice to paint cabinets. You just want to hire someone because it needs to be done properly or you're really going to impact resale value. Also, it's really going to impact the integrity of your cabinets. There's probably some kind of sheen or finish on your current cabinet and that needs to be sanded away in order for that new coat of paint to truly adhere in a nice professional looking way. So the key is to hire someone. Hire someone who will remove all those hinges, who will lay out all those doors, who will use some kind of airbrushing system or mechanical system to get that really even coat. That is my advice. And yeah, I am totally open to painting the cabinets, especially if they're dated, if the condition of the cabinetry isn't great. And again, if you're on the fence, if you're worried about resale value, reach out to a local real estate agent. Send them pictures. Ask them a question. You know, they really want to have places that will sell. So giving that advice is something that benefits them to do. My next question comes from Jennifer. Jennifer wrote, Betsy, my tastes are very Spanish, Moroccan, mid-century, and English cigar bar. How can I decorate my home without it looking like a mess? By the way, I hate pastels, whites, and neon colors. First of all, Jennifer, you are not alone. So many of my clients hate pastels and neon colors. In fact, I have them all fill out a survey before we work with them and I ask what colors they like, what colors they don't like. I don't even put neons on there anymore because they were just universally hated. I could count on one hand the number of clients who've liked neon colors in the past five years. And nobody seems to like pastels. They don't mind me calling it light blue or light green, but they do not want to hear pastel. So you're not alone, even though many of my clients do like white. So that is something that is a little bit unusual. Now you've mentioned these different styles, Spanish, Moroccan, mid-century, cigar bar. Each one of these styles is a whole lot of look. Each one of these styles brings a lot of flavor to the table. I think you need to commit to one throughout a main open area. I really don't love it when people have theme rooms. For instance, this is my Spanish living room. This is my Moroccan dining room. This is my mid-century family room. This is my, you know, whatever. Uh, especially when they're open to each other. For instance, if you had an office that was kind of off to the side that has its own set of doors that really closes away that you can't see from the other rooms, I love the idea of making that your little English cigar bar, your little uh, hideaway, if you will. 
But for those rooms that typically open into each other, living rooms, dining rooms, kitchens, family rooms, they do need to feel cohesive. You can't just go on this individual style selection for each space. Nor do I think a medley of these four styles would be attractive. I think it would look a little bit all over the place. So my suggestion to you is to commit on that first floor or those more open rooms. And then in the bedrooms, you could choose those different styles to really embrace So, for instance, I had a friend come over to my house, was it last weekend or the weekend before? She came over and she hadn't seen my house since I moved. And generally, my style is very mid-century. I am bright colors all the way. I love anything retro, mod. I love wallpaper. I love bold graphic prints. I love furniture with legs. I like walnut furniture. Just mid-century style really epitomizes what I'd like. Uh, mid-century with a sense of adventure. Let's put it that way. So she was looking through my house. I took her on the grand tour. And when we got to my bedroom, she's like, this does not feel like you. And indeed, in my bedroom, I spend so much time decorating other people's bedrooms. And a lot of my clients like this tufted headboard with nail heads. They like mirrored furniture. They like really feminine lines, soft blue colors. These are things that would never really appeal to me in other rooms in my home. But it has been so wonderfully restful creating all of these beautiful girly rooms that when I moved into my house, I couldn't help but create one for myself. I wanted one of those delicious feminine confections. So I did get that really big, upholstered, tufted, nail-headed bed. I really did go nuts with imagery from Paris and mirrors with curving lines. I just went for it. And my bedroom feels really different than the other rooms in my home, and I'm totally okay with that. Not only do I want to have a different sensation when I'm in there, but also it's very closed off from all the other rooms in my home. So it's not one that opens into any other space that would impact how cohesive the rest of my home feels. So that's my two cents. Save those different styles for segmented rooms and keep that open space in your favorite style. My open space, my living room, dining room, entryway, that area is mid-century all the way. So I hope that helped, Jennifer. And now I'm on to my question from Willow. Willow wrote, Betsy, I'm looking to buy pillows for my sofa. What should I look for? So the key when accessorizing, which I kind of touched on with the coffee table, but I want to really emphasize here is contrast. When you squint, when you're looking at that sofa that you're buying these pillows for and you squint, I want to make sure that the pillows really pop, that they provide something different than just the same texture or color of the sofa. So I never use the pillows that the couch comes with. Oftentimes when you buy a couch, it comes with six pillows that are in the exact same color and texture. I just toss those in another room or toss them completely. Instead, you want pillows that contrast. So if your sofa is gray, then you would never, ever, ever get gray pillows unless the shade was much lighter or much darker. I tend to go for a color or a pattern. And when I am mixing pillows, because I never just get one type of pillow, generally for a sofa, I get four pillows, two of two different kinds. One of them is a solid color with a texture. 
On my sofa right now, I have a green apple color that's velvet. And then my other pillow is a pillow that brings in a pattern. So I have a yellow patterned pillow on my uh, sofa right now. And there's two of those. I got them from Target and they're fabulous. And on a sectional, I typically like five pillows. So then I'll have one interesting pillow that's maybe a unique shape or a completely different look. So I have one large accent pillow that I got from Anthropology that is also on my sofa sectional situation. And it's really big and it's essentially like a painting and it's got lots of rich detail and lots of different colors. And that is kind of my formula for picking pillows for a sofa. But the number one thing, the most important thing is to find that contrast. My last question today comes from Ryan. Ryan wrote me, he said, Betsy, I am renovating my kitchen. Where should I start with the tile or with the countertops? Great question, Ryan. Let me tell you, first of all, you shouldn't start with the tile or the countertops. You should start with an inspiration image. Do you have a picture in mind of an entire kitchen that you'd be really excited to move forward with? Sometimes when you start with these granular decisions, countertops, tile, backsplash, cabinet color, you lose sight of the big picture. And while you may like each of your choices individually, you may not like how it comes together in a cohesive look. So my advice is shop first for that cohesive look. I love looking at house.com because there's lots of different kitchens that you can sort through um, starting with style so that you can get really specific but also see a wide range of different options. And just scroll through seeing what you respond to, really not being judgmental, really not worrying if it could actually translate to the size of your kitchen, and just culling all those images that catch your eye. The next step is to narrow those images down. So say you came up with 10 images that you're really pumped about. Well, let's see which ones would actually translate well to the look, size, shape of your kitchen, architecture of your home. Now maybe you have filtered those to five top pictures. Once you have those top five pictures, you're ready to start translating that look to things you can actually find at retailers near you. My suggestion is to start with the cabinetry first. Start with those cabinets first because it's the biggest visual element in your space. Also, it can tend to be the priciest element in your space. So you want to find those kitchen cabinets that you can afford that really encapsulate a look you're excited about. The next thing is the countertops because they're going to be touching the cabinets. So what you selected for the cabinets will really impact what you pick for the countertops. Typically, I do a contrast. In other words, if I've done white cabinetry, I would not do white countertops. First of all, the whites might look a little off right next to each other, but also there's no real contrast. Even a subtle contrast, like a light gray, would be better than another version of white. And then I think about the flooring. So the flooring is going to be touching the cabinets, and so you want to think about what that element will be. And the very last thing I think about is that bling, that blingy backsplash that really can be changed out pretty easily if you determine it's too trendy or you don't like its look over time. But that is a place to have some fun, to take a risk, to choose something that feels exciting to you. 
to choose something that may not be what everybody would choose that feels a little bit more personal, that's a great place to get some wow factor without spending a ton of money. So Ryan, that is how I approach kitchen design. I hope that's helped and keep us posted. I want to see after pictures of this amazing kitchen. So guys, summer is nearly upon us, even though it certainly does not feel like that here on the East Coast where it is 50 degrees today and I am wearing a winter coat, but I digress. Anyway, it is almost upon us and things are busy, busy, busy over here at Affordable Interior Design. So for the summer, I'm announcing a little change. Rather than taking a break, which I don't want to do because I love talking to you each and every week, I am going to be recording my Facebook Live events. Some of you know I do a weekly Facebook Live event in addition to my podcast on Affordable Interior Design's Facebook page. Well, I'm going to be recording that and putting that up each week as my podcast. In addition, there will be bonus episodes of past Facebook Live events. Each Facebook Live event is chock-filled with listener questions and people who've written in or who write in right there on the spot during the Facebook Live event. But I'm going to be putting a new one up each week in addition to that bonus episode each week. So please tune in. Please keep coming back even though we are segueing to this new thing for the summer. I will be back in September with all new full-length episodes with new interviews, with more questions. But in the meanwhile, I know you're really going to enjoy my weekly Facebook Live events. They're very similar to this. And um, even though you won't be able to see me on video, you'll be able to hear my voice and all my tips all summer long. So guys, be sure to check out our premium membership. You can gain access to my archives and be listening to all the previous episodes this summer, all 100 and three of them. So check that out on bigdesignsmallbudget.com. It's $3.99 a month and you will love it. Also, send in those questions. Like I said, I'll be back in the fall answering all your questions and um, it's been a pleasure. So guys, happy designing and tell next week when you'll get an all new Facebook Live podcast episode. It's been great talking to you. A big thanks to my podcast producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the Embassy, our amazing house band, and finally to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out. 
follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.